At this time, Art Williams will have this split sermon. The title is A Twofold Purpose of God. Art? Before I begin with my message today, I need to make a correction on my previous message, The Quest for Meaning. Um, at the close of that message, I put a slide up here on the screen, and it was a slide of the galaxy, Milky Way galaxy, an illustration of the Milky Way galaxy. I said it was a photograph. Well, to have a photograph, we would have had to have a spacecraft out there over 100, well, maybe 96,000 light years would have done it. And obviously, we don't have any deep space probes like that. Uh, as best we have done a couple of years ago, I think one of our probes finally left our solar system. So we are far ways from 96,000 light years. So with that correction, we'll get on with today's message, a twofold purpose of God. <clears throat> I'm going to reference Romans 10:17, but I'm not going to turn there. Because it says, and you all know this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's one factor in, in attaining faith, is hearing. And an additional factor is prophecy. Because it says in Matthew 24, 33, so likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. My purpose today is to build faith by reviewing some of the historical and current and future events. We will begin the story with a man that gave prophetic blessings on his 12 sons. In Genesis 49.1, Jacob called on to his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what may befall you in the last days. Notice it says the last days. It doesn't say immediately. It doesn't say the next generation. It doesn't say the next thousand years. The last days. And he goes to Joseph, and Joseph is the only one I'm really going to focus in on here in verse 22 through verse 26. <clears throat> Joseph is a fruitful burrow, even a fruitful burrow by a well whose branches run over the wall. There's going to be a great population. The archers have solely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But now his abode in his, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Notice it's God that is behind the strength of Jacob. And from hence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy father who shall help thee, and by the Almighty who shall bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies under, and blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Notice again that the national strength is from God and that the blessing is to be made manifest in the latter days. The times of the latter days are different from the days when the prophetic blessings were given. Jesus, the Son of God, came gave his redemptive sacrifice. The New Testament 
process of building the spiritual family had begun and continues to this day. The New Testament and the New Covenant are in effect. Do you think the blessings of whoever the descendants are follow the Christian faith? The blessings that were given to Joseph, are they at the end times bestowed upon a nation who you could classify as a Christian nation? We'll get a little more insight into this blessing because the blessing goes further than just Joseph. It goes to his Joseph's sons or Jacob's grandchildren in Genesis 48.1. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And going down to verse 12 through 14, And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, towards Israel's left, and Manasseh in his left hand, toward Israel's right. And he brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, which means he did this. Okay? And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and the left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn, and as firstborn had the rights of inheritance. The angel which redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads, and let my name be upon them. Let my name be upon them. That's interesting because here Jacob has 12 sons, and he's saying, let my name be upon my grandsons. In the name of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. The name of Israel was placed upon Joseph's two sons. Going on with the story, when Joseph saw that his fathers laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and put it onto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put your right upon, hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. Continuing in eight, verses 18 through 19. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his fa father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become like people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of, nation, a multitude of nations. What's the most populated nation, Christian nation, in the world today? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the top 20 most populous nations in the world today. And I would like you to mentally pick out those that are Christian. Starting with number one, China, India, United States, Indonesia, 
Brazil, Pakistan, Nigeria, Bangladesh, Russia, Japan, Mexico, Philippines, Vietnam, Ethiopia, Egypt, Germany, Iran, Turkey, Congo, and Thailand. The top 20 most populous nations on the earth as of March of 2014 information. <clears throat> the next question I have for you is who is Israel? Because if you read the scripture, we see his name is Jacob. And if we go back to Genesis 32, 27, we're going to come into the middle of, of an activity here. And he says unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. <clears throat> and then in verse 28, and he, being the Lord, or the angel of the Lord, the Lord actually, the name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and has prevailed. So here we find a first little tidbit that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. We also already know, and from what we already read, Israel's name was to be put on Joseph's son or Israel's grandsons. But there's another factor that comes into the scriptures. In Deuteronomy 28.10, Then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. Who is it that's going to be called by the name of the Lord? Who is he speaking here to when he makes that statement? Well, if we go back to a chapter before this one, into Deuteronomy 27, 9, then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel, this day you have become a people of the Lord, your God. So they continued, and they entered into the land that they had been promised in Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass, when all the, and this is what he's making a, a statement here, God is, and it's actually a prophecy. And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. Continuing in verse 2, and shall return unto the Lord thy God, and shall obey his voice, obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 3, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now we know there was a regathering with the return from Babylon. But what about the return of May 4th, 1948 with the declaration of independence of modern day Israel? There's a risk of good times that God points out to ancient Israel in Deuteronomy 31.20. For when I shall have brought them into the land, which I swear unto their fathers, that flow with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat, 
Then they shall turn to other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. Do you think they heard that? Back when these words were originally spoke? Or did that just go in one ear and out the other? Because as the history developed, and we skip up to the, the time of Solomon's death in 1 Kings 11.41, we see that Israel splits into two nations. Ten tribes go with Israel, and two tribes go with Judah. And so we have the nations of Israel and Judah. And I'm not going to turn there, but you can read further about it in 1 Kings 12, 1 through 17, if you're interested in more information. Later, the ten tribes of Israel went into dispersion with the invasion of Assyria in 721 BC. And it was in the remaining nation of Judah that the prophet Isaiah carried on his ministry, possibly from 740 to 680 BC. His message was important to those people because within about 74 years or so, they too would be invaded and carried into Babylonian captivity. We find in Isaiah 1, 1, 1, that Isaiah is writing to Judah and Jerusalem. And we find in 1.10, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's pretty harsh. Pretty harsh characterization. And if we continue and jump up way in history up to Isaiah 63, 63.10. But they rebelled, and this is referring to the history of Israel, and they vexed his Holy Spirit, therefore he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. And if we continue up in verses 17 through 19, uh, Isaiah is writing here, but this almost becomes a dialogue, and I'll show you why I say that here in a minute. It almost becomes a conversation. Perhaps Isaiah is writing the, the about the attitude of the people in Israel, and God then responds to it. Verses 17 through 19. O Lord, why have... You made us to err from your ways and hardened our hearts from your fear. Return for thy servants' sake, the tribes of thine inheritance. The people of your holiness have possessed it, but for a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down the sanctuary. We are yours. You have never bared rule over them. They were not called by your name. I want to point out a couple of things, and then I'm going to jump over to John. I'm not going to turn to these scriptures right now, but there's more to be said about called by my name in chapter 65, and we're going to come back and continue that thought. So don't forget that thought as we turn now over to John 12, 37 through 40. John 12, 37 through 40. But though he had done so many miracles before them, Yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, 
because that Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. And continue on with that same thought in Romans 10, 14 through 21. How then shall they call on him in whom, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I have found them, I have found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that ask not after me. But to Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Now we're going to go back to Isaiah 65, 1, where these scriptures are, that are, have just been quoted in the New Testament. I want to start actually in 64.10, just to lay out a little bit of a foundation. The holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and most beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, is burnt up with fire and all the pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? And starting in 65.1, he says, I am sought by those who ask not for me. I am found by those who sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people that walks in a way that was not good and after their own thoughts. Moving on over to verse 11. But they are that, they that forsake the Lord, that forsake, that forget my holy mountain, and prepare a table for that troop, and that furnish the drink offering unto that number. And here's where you need to apply one of the rules for Bible study. The, the word troop and the word number I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to give you that as a homework assignment. And you will find out that it's somewhat different from what is being conveyed here. Therefore, continuing in verse 12, Therefore I will number you to the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but it did evil before my eyes and did choose that in which I delighted not. And you shall leave your name, verses 15 we're in now, and you shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen, 
For the Lord God shall slay you and call his servants by another name. What's the name? Is it American? Canadian? Russian? Englishman? Chinese? Japanese? Well, after about 680 years from when that was written, Jesus came on the scene. And after his redemptive sacrifice, we find Acts 11.26. Acts 11.26. And when he had found him, he brought him onto, and he's talking about Paul, part of the conversion process of Paul, I believe, if I remember correctly. And when he had found him, he brought him onto Antioch, and it came to pass a whole year, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. But it was predicted back in Isaiah also, in Isaiah 62, 2. Isaiah 62, 2. And the Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. So, why was Israel blinded? Why did they not understand? Romans 11, 25 through 28. Romans 11, 25 through 28. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So, and so all Israel shall be saved, as is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins as concerning the gospel. Back up on that. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And if you look at the problems that the Apostle Paul had with the Jews, tracking him down wherever he went, indeed, did act as enemies. Continuing in verse 30, for as in times past have not, for as, for as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so, these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. So the, the key, this is an instruction for us today on how we should relate to the Jew, mercifully. There's a popular doctrine going around in some Christian circles right now. It says, as you bless Israel, so you will be blessed. No, everything has to be taken into consideration. You still can't condone unrighteous behavior, even though we can be merciful. So it's not a carte blanche. Do everything good for Israel that you want to do, and everything's going to be fine with you personally. There is con further consideration, I think. In Zephaniah 
3 through 8. Therefore wait you upon me, says the Lord, until the day that I raise, rise up to you the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fiercest anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may be called, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall mine offering shall, shall bring mine offering. In that day shall you not be ashamed of all your doings wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of you them that rejoice in your pride, and there shall be no more haughty because of my holy mountain. And that was one thing that was going on. They, because they had the temple, because they felt that they had God, and that became a greater presence than the need for obedience. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their voice. For they shall feed and lay down, and none shall make them afraid. Religious haughtiness um, in any quarter was not acceptable, Jew, Gentile, or Israelite, nor Christian. In Hebrews 9.22, it says, In almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. That thought is continued in Leviticus 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Today, the nation of Israel, more correctly identified as Judah, is without the remission of sin. They can't perform their old animal sacrifices, and they do not accept Jesus Christ as their redeemer, their atonement. But it's not always going to be that way. God's got a plan, and he's going to work out that plan Too many pieces of paper up here. I don't know where I'm at anymore. If we go to Zechariah 12, verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He's talking about David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Important the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. I think that's when they be, the realization of what they have done hits them, and they will recognize that Jesus was their savior, was their redeemer, many, many centuries ago. And it's only now, in the latter days, that they're going to come 
to uh, that realization. I have another scripture that I thought of, and I thought I had stuck it in here at the last minute, but I guess I didn't. Um, if I can. But going back to the names, we talked about a new name, and then Christian the name Christian was first applied. But that's not the end to it, because we see in Revelation 19, verses 12 and 3, 12 through 13, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And in Revelation 2.17, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows, saving he that receives it. And in Revelation 3.12, him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall no more go out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. The twofold purpose is to establish the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God on earth, but also bring back into the fold the nation of Judah and have them also be a part of the kingdom of God.